Welcome to the Orange Crest Community Church Podcast. Our hope is that this weekly podcast provides both encouragement and challenge as you move forward in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening. Good morning. Good to see all of you here. Thanks for coming to worship with us today. Well, last week we launched into this uh, new series of messages called The Reason for Me, and, and I highlighted a promise, and this is the promise up here on the screen. It's, if I seek God, uh, I will find him. That's, this is, is the heart behind the, the series that we're in. If I seek God, I will find him. And finding God brings sufficient purpose and it brings meaning to life. It's really interesting. When you, when you look at current research, it's surprising to still see that most people in America believe in God as described in the Bible. And so here, here's a, a study just showing from 2017, this is a Pew Research study, a group that looks at trends and uh, does polling and surveys. And so with the question, do you believe in God or not? Yes, 80%. No, 19%. But if you break down the yes, it breaks down 56% believe in the God of the Bible. Uh, of the yeses, there's this 23% that believe in some other higher power, spiritual force, People are less religious and don't attend church as often, but according to this, still a, a vast majority of Americans actually acknowledge there's this spiritual component to our makeup, to our, uh, even just to the way that we're wired. We, we want to know God. In fact, 80% says they believe in God. Uh, even those 9% of those, you see one of the smaller portions in there of the no, it says that 9% who say they don't believe in God express still belief in a higher power. And, and what this is saying is it's just very difficult for humans to deny the spiritual component uh, to our existence. So we typically don't. We don't typically deny it. Without a spiritual dimension, life becomes pretty mechanical. And so we're in this series, and last week we, we began by looking at the Bible and showing in the Bible how there's a lot at stake in our search to find God and to find purpose and meaning in that pursuit. Uh, one of the major things that's at stake for us pursuing God is to answer the question of where am I going to spend all eternity? That may not be on your mind right now. You might not be bothered by that question, but the older you get, that question about eternity actually becomes more of a, of a growing concern. Also, for those that if you want your life to increasingly come together rather than to, than to unravel, if you want life to stabilize, again, that's one of the reasons why we, we pursue God and we want to get to know him. Or even just purpose, finding purpose, finding meaning that really flows through every part of our life. That, again, is tied to this pursuit of God. And maybe that's why you're here this morning. Maybe you're sitting here because you, you want to know more about God. So you might be searching and you're trying to develop a relationship with him. Others of you are here and you've already connected with God. You have a relationship with him. You're a Christ follower, in fact. And, and you're now trying to live out God's purposes every day. You're trying to live in line with his purposes. And last week, we looked at how the Bible lays out and identifies our purpose in life. For, for a Christ follower, it's this. It's to love God and it's to love neighbor, your neighbor as yourself. So to love people. Love God and love people. These are primary core purposes that you find uh, in the Scripture. And you could be here asking this question, yeah, I, 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 but how do I, and here's the question, how do I know 
and love a God I can't see? How do I, how do, I do that? Most of us admit there's more to life than just the mechanics of everything, but how do I, how do I know and love a God I can't see? And this, these lingering questions remain. Here's another question. How does God make himself known to us? How does he, how does he reach out to us? How does he help us understand him? What does that look like? And so I want to highlight, just to start, if you, if you would like, you can take out this listening guide. You can follow along. This is in your program. And here's how God makes himself known. According to the Bible, I want to highlight three ways as we get started. Number one is creation. It's one of the first ways that God speaks to the world at large is through his creation. The Bible says this in Psalm chapter 19, which if you read the whole psalm, you get even more uh, of an understanding about how God speaks to us through creation. But look at just the first two verses of Psalm 19. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The heavens are speaking about God's glory to us. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. They're they're communicating the skies as we look outside, as we go on a walk, as we walk around at the park, as we, as we just take in God's creation, the beauty of God's creation. He's communicating. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Every single day, as you, as you take that in, he's communicating something. Night after night, they display knowledge. They're, they're communicating something about who, who God is. We, we learn things about God through the creation. You can read more of that. In, in Psalm, it's Psalm is the book, one of the books found, right? Nearly the middle of the Bible. But the heavens, this idea is the heavens are majestic. They're glorious, the heavens. Now, when you step outside and you gaze at the stars on a clear night, now, here you wouldn't see this. <laughs> at least I've never seen this here in, in these parts. You'd have to probably go out to the desert with a pretty powerful telescope to see something like this. But if you do that, on a very clear night, this generates a sense of awe and majesty and power. This is one of the ways that God actually makes himself known to us is through his creation. Our solar system, if you study just about the way that the solar system works and where the earth is in position to the sun and where the other planets are in our solar system, again, this is an amazing work of order and, and design. A study of the earth actually and its position in our solar system, where the earth is positioned in relationship to the sun. If it was any closer, we would burn up. If it was any further away, there would be freezing. And also just the atmosphere, that, that the earth's atmosphere, the composition of the atmosphere, uh, without, without the mix, of the perfect mix of nitrogen and oxygen, it would be impossible for us to really breathe. And so any more nitrogen or more oxygen and, and our ability to have the type of life that we sustain wouldn't wouldn't be available to us, and so that you know, if this were just some sort of a chemistry accident, then most of the time when I did chemistry accidents, there was smoke and, and bad grades and, and unhappy professors. So if this was all just one big chemistry accident that went right, that just doesn't add up, does it? This this whole atmosphere. Again, it speaks to God's creation and, and his intention and his design. Uh, Jupiter, the, the, you know, the largest planet in our solar system there, the position of Jupiter, and it, it actually provides for us uh, a shield on the earth. Otherwise, we'd be pelted by asteroids. And there, there's protection 
Again, this speaks to design. Now, there's more. The angle of the earth, the, the moon's distance, you know, all of these things that, that make for living on planet earth that we now we learn about. And we say, oh, look at that. This is, this is perfectly designed to sustain and support human life here. If this intrigues you, there's a website I want to point you to. It's, it's theprivilegedplanet.com. You can go to this website, and you can watch actually a video about planet Earth, where we live, and just how, how perfect the conditions for human life are and how this is not an accident. It's a major piece of evidence that God made the world. And if you take in the majesty of a, of a beautiful piece of God's handiwork, it just sort of draws us in to consider, wow, how did all of this come to be? I want to know more. Who's behind all of that? Even just the beauty of, of the mountains this, this week, it's sort of it's capturing some of us. We're just like, you, you're slowing down to take it in. There's mountains that haven't seen snow in like a decade around. I mean, there's these mountains right here to the south of us. I mean, beautiful. Uh, that's not those mountains, but the ones to the south of us don't often get snow. The Cleveland Forest right there or whatever that is, those those have had snow for a few days. It hasn't melted away yet. It's amazing. Every I'm like, wow. Or, or this. This is baldy, I think. You know, it's just you're driving around and you're, you, you're so, it can be captivating to see all of this. Now, the Apostle Paul, he actually speaks to this issue of creation as a way that God communicates and calls people to know him. And to believe there's, there's someone behind all this. Look at Romans chapter 1, verse 20. Paul writes this. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, you know, his eternal power, his divine nature, those are his invisible qualities, have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. This is intended to... This is intended to... To draw us in. Another source of knowledge about God is our conscience. Our conscience. We don't often stop to think about this, but there's something internal that goes on in the human heart that uh, sort of sets limits on our behavior. And and, uh, and so in the book of Romans, the, the book from Romans 1 verse 20, the very next chapter, Paul, he mentions that what goes on inside of us, again, is another way that God makes himself known. Our conscience. Romans two fourteen and 15, Paul's writing about people that aren't from Israel actually experience God working on the inside through their conscience. So he writes this. Indeed, when Gentiles, the Gentiles are the people, the nations who didn't trust in the God of Israel. When, when the Gentiles who don't have the law do by nature things required by the law, when they're actually following a law, why is that? He's sort of asking a question. When the Gentiles who don't have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves. There's something internal. There's some rules. There's some guiding uh, boundaries inside of a person. And it says in verse 15, since they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences Again, these aren't the people of Israel. These are just people of the nations who don't trust God. But their conscience is also bearing witness in their thoughts, now accusing, now even defending them. This is describing how all people have some inner turmoil. There's conflict within us, 
on what's right and what's wrong. There's, there's something that's setting a boundary line in, inside of us. And Paul's saying, where's that come from? Again, in chapter 1, he's saying creation speaks to our creator so that men are without excuse. And then in chapter 2, he's saying inside the human heart, there's something that actually is, is going on saying this is right, this is wrong, this is convicting us, this is confirming some things. And Paul is saying, hey, some, something deeper is leading us to ask the question, where does this come from? And the processing part that goes on in our spirits inside, in our conscience, when we pause and really think it over, again, we, we know deep down that we are much more than just biomechanical machines. There's more. Look at what Mark Twain said. Mark Twain is quoted here, Man is the only animal that blushes or needs to. Now, if you look into to Mark Twain's life, he was raised in the church. He didn't trust organized religion, so he, he probably never became a Christ follower. But he's highlighting this issue and this aspect of, of conscience. Here's another person who who reflected on this, C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis, uh, he, he became an atheist, and, and if he was going to follow Christ, he first started with atheism. And so here's a quote about, about his journey back. He has this stint as an atheist. First he believed in God, then he becomes an atheist by choice. But he has this journey back to following Christ. Here's what he said. He says, My argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust. That's oftentimes what people will say. Well, God doesn't exist because if God exists, why is there so much cruelty in the world? Why is there so much evil in the world? Why doesn't God just get rid of all the evil and the injustice and the pain? So that's, he says, my argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust. But how had I got this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a, crooked, a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. What was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust? This, for C.S. Lewis, was the logical line of reasoning that moved and really led Lewis to conclude and believe in God's existence and eventually commit his life to follow him, you know, to follow Christ as Lord. The conscience is one of the ways that God makes his, himself known to us. One final and really the most complete way that God has made himself known to us is Christ. God in the flesh stepped into human history. He stepped onto earth, the Son of God, in the person of Jesus. And we can actually look back now at his life. We can look back at his teachings, his message, and we can study his resurrection and the impact of his resurrection. We can, we can look back at, at that because it happened in human history. So the writer of Hebrews, the New Testament book of Hebrews, he wrote this. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers. He's speaking to a Jewish audience. In the past, our, our forefathers spoke, or God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. He's saying Christ was there at creation. Well, Christ Jesus, he, he's, he, he, Jesus is God. Look at verse, thir, uh, verse 3. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after he had purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand 
of the majesty in heaven. So we have this event in human history that we can look back to. There was this person named Jesus. He walked, he talked, interacted with real people who were living on the earth. They witnessed his miracles. They, went, they, heard, his, they heard his teaching firsthand. And then they experienced his death, burial, and his resurrection up close and personal. And for many, it just it, it transformed their lives to the point to where they were willing to die to proclaim his message. And the, the evidence of the transformation, especially of the, the disciples, is what many people point to and say, why would anyone give up their life for a lie? Why, why would all of these close followers be so committed to advancing this message unless they believe this was really true and that Jesus held their eternity? I mean, this, this, this is powerful evidence, is, is the historical uh, person of Jesus, the history of the impact of the early Christian followers. And so we can look back and study that. There's many who've written on this. A great book or short read on this is the book More Than a Carpenter by a man named Josh McDowell who set out to disprove Christianity by looking at the evidence, and the evidence led him to conclude that this was actually true. And he's not the only one that has concluded that, who tried to sort of focus on the intellectual uh, questions that skeptics ask. Several have, have sort of walked down that road and, and converted to Christianity and then written about their story. But this is a, a really uh, solid resource. And it really gets to the heart of, of investigating who Jesus was and is. And the Bible actually says that Jesus is the way to get to know God. If you want to get to know God, the Bible says, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man goes to the Father but through me. We go through Christ, the Son. And so if you're investigating what that means to, to connect with God, first you get, you get to know what the Bible says about, about him. You're convinced of his identity as God, and then you yield and give your life to follow him as Lord. And that's where, that's where you start in seeking God. Now, if this puzzles you or, or, or maybe it intrigues you, the uh, Bible is clear that friendship with God is available. Friendship with God is available to us. And that's good. That's really good news. You can know God personally. And you might be wondering, what does that, what does that look like? How does that actually work? This, this point on the screen right here, that friendship with God is available to us, depending on your religious background, that might even seem so sacrilegious to say that. Like, wow, that God of the universe, who, who seems inaccessible, who, who seems too busy for me on a personal level that God would want to know me, that doesn't seem real. But if you dig into the Bible, you actually find just the opposite, that God cares about relating to you. He cares about us on a, on a personal level. And so a friendship with God, a relationship with him, it grows in ways similar to other friendships. So I want to show you some accounts in the Bible of how did the, some of the earliest Christians come to know him, come to know Jesus. So here's an example, John chapter 1 verse 35 through 42. Some of the earliest disciples encounter with Jesus. It says, The next day John was there again with two of his disciples. John was the cousin of Jesus. He was Jesus' cousin. God gave John the assignment or the role to be the one to announce that Jesus was from God. That was John's primary role, to point people to Jesus and say he's from God. So John was there, this man, he's a prophet, Next day, John was there again with two of his disciples, and when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. And this phrase, the Lamb of God, 
It would bring to mind the sacrifice of a lamb for forgiveness of sins. It would actually, in making this statement, John is saying that Jesus is the one who will bring the opportunity for for you to have forgiveness of your sin once and for all. He's the lamb of God. So, So his disciples, John's disciples who are following him and learning from him, Something happens to them. It says, turning around, when the two disciples heard John say that, they began to follow Jesus. Literally began to follow behind Jesus. And turning around, Jesus saw them following, and he asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Verse 39, he says, come. Come. Come and you will see. He doesn't chase them off. He doesn't run them off as they're falling. Like, what are you following me for? He, he allows them to come up close. He doesn't, he, he extends to them the invitation to spend time with him. And so it says, so they went and they saw where he was staying and they spent that day with him and it was about the 10th hour. Now we don't know what their discussion was about. We don't know what Jesus said to them, but something clicked in their mind and occurred in their heart to the point to where They begin to invite others to come and hear Jesus. So look at verse 41. The first thing that Andrew, one of these men, did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we found the Messiah. That's basically the Savior that that the prophets and everyone had, had foretold would come to rescue God's people. We found him. We found the Messiah. First, Simon has this understanding that Jesus is the Lamb of God, but now he's connecting the dots that he's the one we've been waiting for. So things are coming together. He's the Christ, verse 42, and we brought, or and he brought him to Jesus. He brought Simon. Simon is actually Peter. So Simon Peter comes to Jesus. He, if you read in the Bible, Peter plays a key role in, in the early church. So people got to know Jesus the same way that we would get to know people today you spend time with people you you share a meal you open up your life to people you include people in your life and this is what you see as you read through the biographies of jesus's life you know we can spend time with the lord today we can spend time with jesus he makes himself available to us prayer is one of the major ways that you that you have a conversation with god you talk to him in prayer if you're seeking god start by asking god to show himself to you god are you real i want to know you Prayer is a conversation. It's that conversation that you have with, with him. You bring things up. You make requests. You, you ask. He responds. He, he gives motivations. He gives encouragement. Uh, he, he prompts us. Uh, and one of the ways that he directs us through interacting with him is he directs us to his word. The Bible itself is, is one of the primary ways that God he speaks to us through his word. It's, we call it the word of God. And as you read the Bible, the words sort of jump off the page at us. And, and at a heart level, they, they get to the root of, of, uh, of life. And, and if you attend here on Sundays, maybe it's through the message, maybe it's through the time of worship. God often speaks to us through his word and through whether we're singing a truth about him or we're hearing something it's pointing us to, to a verse in Scripture. He speaks to us, and it's it's almost like he aims the message right at our heart to where we think, does God have a camera in my house that he's watching what I needed to hear? I mean, that's not always the case. 
we live different lives, but oftentimes God's word just speaks right to the issues in our life. And when you read even more, when you read the Bible on your own, this can happen more and more often. When you spend time in, in, in the, the privacy of your own house and when you sort of peel away and get to a quiet place and you seek God through prayer and through the word, God speaks to you. It's one of the major ways we, 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 we love God is we spend time with him. We interact with him. And as you grow, that friendship, the value and the priority that you place on that relationship goes up and up and up. The more time you spend, the more the value and priority goes up. Uh, so at one point, Jesus' closest followers, uh, he, he calls a group of about 12. His disciples, his 12 disciples, uh, are spending a lot of time with him. There's others that are leaning in and following Jesus. The crowds would form, but then the crowds would thin out. The crowds would form. And then the crowds would thin out. And at one point, Jesus has this large crowd, and then it thins out because uh, some people just decide, I'm, I'm not going to follow him anymore. And he turns and he asks his disciples this question as people are leaving. Look at John six sixty seven. He asks the twelve, you don't want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. There's something different about Jesus' words that, that cause us to continue to seek him and to, and to pursue him and to stay moving forward in that relationship. And the disciples, they, they recognized there was something different. His words were different than others. And so that friendship, that relationship meant everything. Last week we saw how loving God is the number one purpose in life. And we, we looked at this, we studied this verse here from Matthew 22, says that an expert in the law tested Jesus with this question. The question was, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Like, what's the most important? This, this is a big book. Well, what's the greatest commandment? They were trying to follow, uh, the person who's asking is trying to follow hundreds of laws. What's the greatest one? And, and Jesus replies with this. The greatest is this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Basically, Loving God is to be your number one priority. Essentially, with your whole being, you're to love God. And as time went on, Jesus, Jesus' disciples, they understood this more and more. So when he says, do you want to leave? Like everyone else is scattering. They said, where else are we going to go? You're number one. You have the words of eternal life. Interestingly enough, some more time goes on. Jesus hits a point with his disciples where he begins to, to communicate to them uh, his, his primary purpose and he talks about that he's going he's gonna to be uh, killed. He's going to offer up his life. And, and they begin to, to push back on the plan. There's got to be another way, Jesus. You need to stay with us. He says, I'm going away. I'm preparing a place for you. And they're trying to hold on to him because of the value, the priority of this relationship. As long as they could, we want to hold on. They weren't really ready to say goodbye. And so in John 14, after he talks... He begins to prepare them for his departure. He, he tells them this. This is one of the keys to deepening their friendship with him. John 14, if you look from about verse 15 uh, through the end of that chapter. But obedience, obedience is the way to deepen our friendship with God. Obedience is not what 
it takes to begin a relationship with God, but obedience is one of the ways that we deepen our friendship with God. So make sure you, you keep this straight in your, in your mind and what you hear as well. Look at the verses that Jesus, or that I want to highlight. Jesus showed us how to love God. In, in John 14, verse 15, he says, if you, if you love me, he tells his disciples, you'll obey what I command. So he's saying, look, I, I'm leaving. And then he tells them, and they're like, wait, we want to know you. We want to go with you. If you love me, you'll obey what I command. You'll continue on obeying what I've laid out. If, if you do so, you, you're demonstrating you really trust me. And we love God by knowing what he says in the Bible and doing what he says. We, we demonstrate our love through obedience. I need to know what the Bible says about all of I need to know what the Bible says about loving my wife. I need to know what the Bible says about parenting my kids. I need to know what the Bible says about interacting with people, handling money. I need, I need to know what the Bible says about all of life so I can obey him. There's character that God wants to grow in us. And so we love God by knowing his word, knowing what he says about life, and then setting out to live it out for him. We don't, we don't know it all, but the idea here is what we do know, we, we need to do. We want to obey. Now, why should we do that? Well, look at verse 21. Whoever has my commands, Jesus says, and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. So Jesus says the person who loves God has his commands and obeys them. Now, there's a tension here. The tension is, uh, what do I do with God's grace? It sounds like I need to... My, it, Sounds like he's saying I need to obey my way into this friendship, this relationship with God. That's that's this isn't talking about how do I come to know God. This is I've already established a relationship with God. Now I, I I out of gratitude I demonstrate the priority of that relationship through moving forward in obedience each day. It's not what saves you, but it certainly is what God uses to deepen our knowledge of Him. He reveals more of Himself. To those who obey his commands. Some of us, we hit a point where we, we've all been there where it just seems like, it seems dark and foggy and cloudy. And we're just, I'm not hearing from God. And a lot of times it's because there's a lid or a ceiling on our life because of disobedience. We refuse to obey God on some level and then it's, we just can't hear what he's saying. We, we, walk, we begin to move into the darkness in the sense of it's, you're still in his hands, but you're just... It's like the, the, the lines of communication are just, they're, 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 it's hard to hear. Our disobedience creates this hard of hearing experience. So doing God's commands is one of the ways that we actually learn that he is real. We do his commands and we find out he's actually the one that designed life to work a certain way. And when we don't do that, it hurts. We actually experience the pain of, of disobedience. And God shows and confirms in our spirit that he really is. Obeying God is almost always, though, the opposite of our native responses. It's almost always a fight to obey God. For example, the Bible says this. The Bible says, a soft answer turns away wrath. I don't know if you've heard that verse in the Bible. A soft answer, a gentle answer turns away wrath. When someone is angry at you and they're bringing the wrath and they're bringing the heat, maybe it's conflict with your friend, your spouse, your, your, your coworker, and there's someone's angry at you. The scripture says a soft answer, a gentle answer it, it turns away wrath. 
So if we choose to obey God and give a soft answer, and instead, instead of giving back anger for their anger, if we give a soft reply and absorb the blow of their wrath and their anger, often we break through and we understand more about that person or we know, understand more about the situation or we understand more about ourselves. And in that way, we go, wow, God, that really was better. That really worked out better than what I typically do. Because I want to bring my anger into the situation in reply. But that, that almost always goes poorly. But it's through obedience that we find out that God is, is, is real. Another example, the Bible says when you're worried, which we often get into worry and we start stewing over things and we get in our head over anxiety and worry and, and fear. And rather than just staying there, the Bible says turn to God in prayer. In Matthew chapter 6, pray and then focus on today's work. You got enough, you got enough on your plate. There, let tomorrow's trouble just stay out there, but focus on today's work today. So obedience when it comes to worry is pray. I pray and I keep at the things that are on my plate. I get back to work. I pray and get back to work. That's what obedience looks like. That's one of the things that, that Jesus instructed on how to battle worry. Well, when we instead of worrying, whenever we pray and when God works in the way he does he often brings a peace and a settling in our heart that we can look back and say wow god's way really was best god is real over and over and over with whatever issue you're facing with its finances we're so tempted to to be stingy we're tempted to hoard it's our native bent to do that and, and but when we choose to obey god and be generous people and grow in generosity and release Live, live a life that is, is willing to, to share and to give and be generous. God shows us how real he is. He interacts with us. Our finances are a very dynamic part of us seeing God is real. He really does meet our needs as I trust him with resources. On and on and on. Whatever areas of life that he is bringing to our mind, he's saying, hey, it's time to obey me now in this. Uh, you can trust God. One, one final thought before the worship team joins me back on the stage. One final thought about obeying God is the area of sharing our faith with others and, and helping others develop a friendship with God, helping others know Christ personally. I would encourage you to start praying now that God would give you a burden to, to help another person to come to know, or at least to, to try to introduce another person to friendship with, with him. Ask God for just some people to begin to pray for. Maybe jot down... Easter's coming, and so maybe start by praying for about three people that you could begin to pray for and then at the right time invite to Easter here at OCC and then be used by God. You don't know what that's going to look like, and for some of us, that's scary when we don't know what that's going to look like because it's like, what if they come? <laughs> all, I, all I had planned for was that I would invite them. I had no idea they would come. So what do I say if they ask me, what do you think about all this stuff, or what do you believe about it? What do I say? Well, what I would say is, what if they come and have questions that God can give you everything you need? If you're, if you're a Christ follower, uh, share what, what you have learned and what you're obeying. You don't, you don't have to know it all. Share the things that God has shown you so far. And one of the ways that God will deepen that verse, John 14, 21, one of the ways that he'll deepen your understanding of him is through taking a step like that. Because as you try to help others come to know Jesus Christ, I guarantee it will help you develop a more a dependency on Christ and on his word. Because you're going to want to know 
the answers to the questions that people are bringing. And that will, that will just, that's God, God's way of, of it's, I think it's a real practical application of John fourteen twenty one. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. Obeying his commands and sharing him with others. He who loves me will be loved by my Father. I too will love him and show myself to him. As you step out in obedience, God will show more of, he'll help you understand his ways so you can answer the questions that come up. I was talking with someone who, from our church here, who's been doing this. She's only been a Christian for a few years, but she has shared with a few people since becoming a Christian. She's been biting people who've come, and she's helping them learn to develop a friendship with God. And she's like, I don't know what to say next. Can you, can you, can you guys handle it? Kind of like, can the staff handle it? And, you know, we want to help, and we will help. But God actually is using that to deepen her faith and to deepen her dependency as a newer Christ follower. So she's getting to know God's revealing more of his, himself to her through this. A lot of people live their whole Christian life and never take that step of obedience of helping others. And so I would just really encourage you, be, be praying prayer for people as we're heading towards Easter. Easter is a prime time for us to invite people uh, to, to church. And so here's some next steps that you might consider taking as, as an application this morning. Aim to set time aside to pray and read the Bible X days this week. Personalize that for yourself. Think through what that needs to look like. Maybe add, uh, ask God to, to, to stretch you in this area of getting to know him better. Obey God next in. Maybe there's something specifically that you're just really, God's saying, this is what's next for you, Josh. And I, I'm resistant. Maybe you just identify, okay, I know what it is. I'm jotting that down, and, and I'm going to obey him this week. If you're a Christ follower, don't, don't let disobedience block the communication, the fellowship, and the joy that can be there in, that, in, in really knowing and deepening that friendship with God. And then last, John 14, verse 21. That's a great verse to commit on. You commit to memory on the, on the subject of obedience. So let, let's pray together. Father, thank you for this group of people that are they're precious, God, to you. We thank you, Lord, that you, in all that you've made, Lord, the heavens, the sun, the moon, the stars, this planet, the beauty of, of everything, the landscape that we see. Lord, that you, that you made us and that you pursue and you want, you've given us an opportunity to know you, Lord. And this whole world, world and, and uh, it speaks to you. It speaks about who you are, Lord. The message of your son, Lord, it, it speaks to our hearts. And so I pray that for those that are here that don't know you, uh, I pray, God, that you would you would create in, 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 in each one, Lord, a desire to have their questions answered. Lord, do you show each person their need for you first? There would be a real genuine uh, understanding of, of what Jesus has done to meet our need for forgiveness of our sin. And then a yielding to follow Jesus as Lord. We pray for each person that is already a Christ follower here, would you help us, Lord, to not set the ceiling on our growth or not block the, the, the depth of our relationship with you through our disobedience, Lord. Pinpoint areas in our life where we're being difficult or where we're sort of stiffening our back and our neck and, and not 
not saying yes, Lord, help us, Lord, to, to, we just give you permission to do business in our hearts and to lead us, Lord, to say yes to you again. We pray and we ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray you've been encouraged by the message and equipped to move forward in obedience to God's word. Join us again next week for another Orange Crest Community Church podcast.